Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, sponsored by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. And my name is Dr. Bill Takeshta, and this evening we're very honored to have Dr. Randy Joes. Dr. Joes, he's a graduate of the University of California at Berkeley School of Optometry, and he was a past professor at the University of Houston School of Optometry. He truly is one of the pioneers in the field of low vision. He's a diplomate of the American Academy of Optometry and Low Vision, and he has written books and authored various papers on low vision throughout the world. So we're very, very fortunate, and Dr. Joes, this evening we'll be talking about how to find a low vision practitioner as well as eccentric viewing for people who have macular degeneration. Now, before we go to Dr. Joes, I just want to remind everybody that Dr. Joe does welcome questions. As we go along, you may unmute your phone if you have a question by pressing star six. Now, this uh, lecture is being recorded by Airs LA, and so if you do not want your voice to be recorded, then you could save your questions for after the recording, and Dr. Joe's will answer those. So without further ado, uh, Dr. Randy Joes. Thank you, Randy. Well, and welcome to the whole group. Okay. Um, I want to spend some time talking about the eccentric viewing. It's uh, sort of a new thing going on in the field recently. Everybody uh, wants to make this diagnosis, and they've come up with different treatment options, and uh, we're trying to develop uh, treatment paradigms, the treatment uh, types of treatments that uh, are based on information we don't have. <laughs> So it, uh, we've kind of cleared up a few things here is that with macular, with eccentric viewing, it sort of assumes that there is something wrong with the center of the vision. Okay? Our eye is uh, organized around having a very small area in the middle of the retina okay? they call the macula, and that's where we have all our 20-20 cells. And 20, but the further you go away from that center, the worse the vision gets. So that Basically, the bigger the area that's not working or that scotoma or blind spot, the worse the acuity is going to be. As this first presents itself, and it's not just with macular degeneration, diabetics, hypertensive, a lot of uh, different diseases, ocular diseases, can cause problems with the central vision. And uh, so it will cause these little scotomas. It starts out for most patients. The patient will come in, report not being able to read small print easily. And they may have just been at the doctor's office, and the doctor said, no, you've got good vision at near. But in the doctor's office, we always have perfect lighting. We have high-contrast targets, and the docs often don't go down to the really tiny print. So you can get this, you know, A-plus report from the doctor in his doctor's office and go home, and you can't read the newspaper, okay? Again, it's low contrast, very small print, and probably have terrible lighting in the house. So it starts out as this blurred vision. Some people say, well, everything just looks a little distorted, and others just say it just doesn't look right. I know I can read the letters, but it takes me longer, and it just doesn't look right. And that all is indication that something is going on with that uh, macula. So the first thing they want to do is go to the doctor and get a new pair of glasses, because when I got blurred vision before, I go get a new pair of glasses. The difference is that now your 
doctor can do the eye examination, do the refraction, and get the eye into perfect focus, or it's probably already in the perfect focus, but that area of the retina with the 2020 cells just isn't working anymore, okay, so that uh, you can keep changing the glasses all you want, and I get people come in three, four, or five pair of glasses that they keep getting different glasses from different doctors as they see them, and it just doesn't do any good because their best vision is not 20-20. They simply do not have any 20-20 cells back in the eye. So no matter how well you focus it, it's going to get 20-40 vision, 20-100 vision, whatever that best cell you have remaining back there on the retina. So the first thing we have to eliminate is that, you know, we've got a um, good refraction and that we're not looking for a miracle cure with a pair of glasses. By going to a low vision specialist, we cannot be refracted in one of these machines, particularly as the condition gets a little bit worse, that we can change the glasses, twing them, twist, twist them a little bit there just to get a little bit better vision, but not 2020. Okay. So it just clear things up a little bit. But basically refraction isn't, isn't the problem. The other thing that they'll come in and say, well, let me just change my bifocals. Okay. And, problem is sometimes even when you increase the power of the bifocal, nine times out of ten of these days, you're going to get you know, one of the progressive bifocals. So now what happens is you are a distortion. The distortion is in the eye, the retina, and it's looking through a lens that's distorted, basically a progressive lens that has a lot of distortions in it, and so you're adding distortion to distortion, so it's worse. So you know you get a new bifocal you can't see as well with it. So a lot of times we need to go and change it to a single vision or a reading correction and do it just a full glass with just your reading correction so that no matter where you kind of wiggle the eye around to get rid of that blind spot, you're going to find some good lens there. So those are kind of the things that we work on when you first come into the, the issue to make the uh, clinic is to uh, address the issue of the refraction, address the issue of the proper bifocal, either a very large bifocal with a line across it so you know when you're in the bifocal and when you're out and you got a big window there, or you get a single vision or a reading glass that would just a huge window, you know, the big solid single lens. And that usually helps out with good lighting and high contrast. So if, we're, if you're working in the home, the best thing to do is work on getting the glare sources out, make sure the lamps all have good shades on them. You don't need a lot of light. You just need light on material you're looking at, but not in your eyes. So you want shades on the lamps and stuff so that doesn't light does not directly uh, go into the eye, the purple part of the eye. And so we work on that. Now, another thing that happens when you first have this beginning problem, and we're talking, you don't even have a stoma yet. You don't even really see a problem out there. You just know you don't see as well as you did before. But the other thing is that it happens, the condition changes, it may have uh, your dominant eye, the one you usually use as a dominant, it's going to have 20-50 vision. Okay? It's going to be a little worse than the better eye, the 20-20 eye or 20-25 eye. But we try to use the two eyes together. It's, you get a confused acuity. You get two overlapping images almost, and it looks very blurred. Okay? It's called retinal rivalry. And simply, most of the time you find is when I cover my, my dominant eye, the 20-50 eye, Suddenly, I get my 20-20 vision back okay, in the other eye. Because, because the right eye, let's say, was the dominant eye, and the brain still wants to use it, but it has bad vision. 
the other eye has left eyes and non-dominant eye has good vision and uh, but when it's trying to use both eyes together the image from the right eye just kind of like a lot of noise in the background or static in a radio and it causes a reduction in acuity so we make sure that we and you can test that quickly just cover the bad eye and see if you get better vision <laughs> if we do that then we have ways of correcting that with the different special bifocals and occluders and, and uh, tents and things like that. So that's just the very first kind of look at this is beginning to happen. That central part of the vision with all the 2020 cells and 2040 cells is starting to uh, deteriorate. And it comes on as uh, distortion and just uh, inability to see. Then eventually it'll get bad enough that you'll start having uh, – little tiny schizoma, a little tiny blind spot, and when you try to read words, they will be blocked out. So if I read the word central, uh, I'll see the CE, and the NTR will disappear, and then the AL, I'll catch the end of it. So the center part of words often disappear on you, or you can't see them. And the best solution to that, the problem is there's still enough macula left that it's hard for the eye muscles to move the blind spot away from the, uh, so you can see the word, the whole word. And, uh, ouch, okay. And the, what happens is the, um, is larger, we make the words go into large print, okay? So less the little tiny blind spots going to block out the information there, going to block out that word. So you'll find that the, when you're beginning to get to the just starting to lose vision with the little blind spot that you still have a lot of trouble uh, with. It takes you forever to read a line across a line of print because you just kind of catch two or three letters at a time and have to go back and rescan them again and rescan them again because that blind spot keeps blocking things out. Uh, and you can't really move away or move that blind spot because too much of the macula is still working. Too much of that central vision is still hooked to the brain, and the brain wants to use that central vision. So we have to make the world bigger. So there at home, you want to use large print magazines, large print calendars, large print clocks, big print, everything you can get on with high contrast. And that will help you out in the, the home. Again, always with good lighting, get rid of glare, and have high contrast. As ascotoma becomes bigger and it blocks out even larger materials, uh, printed materials and or objects, that uh, the whole part of faces will be gone. Most people will say, okay, now I can I can see your forehead and I can see your chin or my beard in my case, and uh, but I can't see your eyes and your nose. So that kind of blocks things out. Also, the what happens is they figure out that uh, all of a sudden things flash on and flash off. Okay? I see it and then it's gone or it jumps out at me. Those are the reports that come in at the sort of second stage of, of the progression of the katoma. It got bigger, it's blocking out more, it's more irritating, I can't do things. And what happens is then uh, it, as the blind spot, the eye moves around looking for a good spot, it'll finally see the face and then it drifts back in and covers up the face. So it looks like it's flashing on and off, flicking on and off, whatever you're looking at or trying to read or see a face or see a clock or whatever. And then uh, 
sometimes your eye moves around. That's the eye muscles. The brain really doesn't know because the eye muscles are moving the eyes through this blind spot, so it doesn't know which direction they went. So sometimes you'll see something in front of you because the blind spot moved off to the side, and it'll look like it just popped out at you. So people will report that thing's just going to jump out at me all the time. And so what we need to teach this person is to eccentrically view and not need to teach them and make them aware of the fact that if I move my eye up, and usually we want to try to teach them to move it up first. So if you're having this problem, try to look above what your target is. Look above the clock, above the print, above the, you know, the top of the forehead. Okay. And you will see a full image, but it will be blurred because that part of the retina does not have 2020 cells. It has 2050 cells, 2100 cells, whatever. Okay. So what we're first do is teachers, oh, yes, when I move my eye up, I can see the whole picture out there, okay? Or sometimes we have to move it to the left, sometimes we have to move it down. But as you move the eye away from the center, you'll see what's in front of you, and you'll see the whole picture, but it'll be blurred. This is where we get into a problem. As we do this, we have to make sure you are looking at things that are big enough that you can figure out what, they're, what they are, okay? If, uh, you're going to be blurred, so you got to look at objects that are big enough or get close enough to the print that you can see it. When you get closer to the print to see it, then you've got to change your bifocal. So, so all this stuff, you have to be involved in the clinic all the time to make sure you always got the best vision coming forward. But once you learn it, oh, yes, when I look up, you become aware of the fact that when you look up, I can see a whole picture out there, though it's blurred. Then we've learned how to eccentrically view. Okay? And what we'll do is we'll send you home to practice, or you can do this at home yourself. Just practice looking up and, and, and fixating on things. You know, find it, identify it, and then look at something else. Or fix it, identify it. So the more you get that motion down, what you're training is the muscles okay, to move the eye into that good part of the retina. This is the part where as that little blind spot is, and I'm going to send you home and say with some training exercises, and it'll be just little words. I'll say, and we'll actually, we just start with letters. Okay, kind of move your print hands across to the first letter. Look up, identify the letter, then move to the next one. Look up, identify that. Okay, kind of keep moving across. These are like little push-ups. We're telling we're teaching, we're giving the eye muscles a little push-up exercise to go home with for a couple of weeks. You just build that muscle up so it can look up. And what we want to do is get, when you look up, the muscle gets tired very quickly, so it drifts down. So it's by going through this exercises for two, three weeks, uh, it will have the the result of strengthening the eye muscle so it can hold that eye in up upward position, looking up to see things that are um, below that scotoma. And we'll do that for a couple of weeks. And that's part of the, the, the training that you can do at home, okay? And it's teaching you to uh, learn how to uh, move that eye. Sometimes if a person can't move the eye or find it easier, you find people moving their head. They'll turn their head up, the whole head up, or they'll turn their head to the left or down or the right, and they're doing the same thing. They're, that, they're just moving that blind spot off to the right, off to the left, or moving it up, getting it out of the center vision so they can get that full field of view, but blurred. I'm so as soon as they learn to do that, and they can get across the line of print pretty quickly and, and uh, hold uh, hold the 
fixation there. Start identifying words. We'll give you two little words, two little words, four little words, and uh, keep increasing the size of the words so that you can actually fixate. You move from just viewing up there to actually fixating. Fixating means I'm sort of staring and and uh, keeping the one word or the one person in sight, staring at their face, staring at the word until I can recognize it. And then moving on to the next word. Okay. So the patient will then have to go to the next phase that now that I've learned to move it up, I've learned to hold it there so it doesn't drift, so it, you know, it's not drifting in and out of the word. And then I start to move from left to right to read. And as soon as I start to move the eye muscles left to right, okay, everything drifts again. So it breaks down. So now we have to do exercises. We get to do exercises at home where you do what we call broad jumps, a little broad jumps for the eye. We start with a letter, and then we just uh, look up, get it fixated, and move to the right on a printed page. And move to the right uh, for a letter that's pretty close, just a little hop, and a few hop across the whole line. And then you go back again, and we'll get, we just keep increasing the distance until eventually you'll start with a letter on the right-hand side of the page and move to the middle of the page and move to the end of the page and right. So it's like doing big broad jumps okay, with your eyes. But you're holding things straight okay, as you move from left to right. So what we're calling that is you're learning to track, you know, track why you fixate. So it's like looking at a ball and watching a ball travel as it's thrown to another person. And you're fixating on the ball, and then as they throw it, you watch the ball go to the glove of the other person. Okay. So that's what we're trying to do. That will develop the, the reading part. And again, if you don't get that kind of training, a lot of people will eccentrically view. They get the better acuity as long as things are nice and stable and, and straight ahead of them and not moving. But uh, and so they'll report, yeah, I see it, and it disappears again. Okay, I see it, and it goes black on me. Okay, uh, but uh, mostly with reading, as I try to read, I'll read one word, and then I'll have to refixate, and I read another word. Okay, and then I'll fixate and read another word. It's what we call clunk reading. You feel like people tell me, I feel like I'm in third grade again. I mean, the cat went to. The, and that just drives them crazy. It takes so long to read across the line of print. That's because it just keeps slipping away. So our training there is just to get this, uh, the case that we call the eye movements, a little jump from left to right. And uh, there at home you can do again. It's just using, if uh, we prescribe, this is where you really do need to make sure you have a low vision exam at this point uh, because this is where we need to get you the right lens, the right power, and the right lighting and contrast, and you know what your threshold acuity is. Because if you use material that's too big, if you try to read stuff or do exercises with activities that have the prints that's too big, then you're not going to move to the right part of the retina or the best part of the retina. The, the retina and the eye muscles are basically like the rest of the body, very lazy. So if they can get away with moving, uh, you know, a quarter inch and see big print versus having to move, you know, a half inch and seeing a very small print, they'll pick the smaller movement. So that's what we want to work together to make sure in our training programs that you 
you, you push yourself to see as small a print as you can possibly do. And that'll help you. A good thing there is to, uh, you can start now watching TV and you'll see that you can watch, see the faces a little bit better. And, uh, it'll, you'll start your good adaptation to your, uh, eccentric viewing there. Okay. So now you're aware of it. And we're going to redo your bifocal at this point to make sure, again, that you've got all the right lines. Okay. And then it's just developing efficiency. Okay. Then you start working on doing paragraphs. And, and this is to move right to left and up and down so you can track smoothly across by while keeping a blind spot in the upper lower position. Okay. Now, that's what's called you're now eccentrically fixating with with tracking scope. There's also a thing that you'll hear out there it's called a PRL or preferred retinal locus. To me, right now I've got you eccentrically viewing, but if I tell you you're looking up, if you've moved your blind spot up, okay, and look at material that's in front of you, read material or a face, then if I tell you to look straight ahead or point straight ahead, you'll point up because your brain is still lined with the old macula, okay, as to what straight ahead is, what position is straight ahead. So to overcome that, to teach the, the brain to use the new eccentric viewing point as the straight ahead position, we have you do a lot of uh, hand-eye coordination stuff, filling in circles, uh, circling letters, uh, doing tracing uh, tracks uh, through a maze, okay, all this, these kind of hand-eye coordinations you can do. The old ones are, you know, straight in needles, uh, sticking uh, threads, popcorn, uh, a needle through popcorn, sticking a thread through uh, hoops, or dropping pins into a Coke bottle. You know, anything that requires you your hand and the eye to work together, uh, that's the activity that you want to do. And for some people, this ends up being so that they will develop a preferred retinal locus, and they will actually start seeing uh, and directionalizing and uh, find out where things are out there in the real world uh, with that new area of the retina. The other one is just figure out that, yeah, I know that's straight ahead, but I know that that my real straight ahead is down here. <laughs> so it just never quite adapts. Okay. Um, when you're when you're first looking at trying to get a patient or trying to get yourself to see, as I said, we want you to go move that blind spot up because if the blind spot gets bigger, if you move it up, it's not going to be as as uh, disabling to your vision performance on task because not many things happen to us in the upper field up there. Okay? Unless you're six foot seven or something like that, you might bump your head on occasion. I've seen something, but basically. That's the best spot to uh, to put it. The other is to try to look to the left or move the blind spot to the left. That's our second best position uh, because uh, other than kind of reading activities where you read into line and come back again, you'll just overshoot when you come back, but that's easy enough to learn how to overcome that uh, pretty quickly. Uh, the third best position is when you're looking down. The trouble here is if you're looking down and move that blind spot down, then we probably have a problem with the uh, mobility and steps and curbs and, and uh, bumping into things down here that the blind spot gets into. So we try to avoid that if we, we can. Uh, sometimes we'll have better vision when I look down, but because it's so dangerous down there because you're very mobile, we'll 
actually teach people to uh, go to the left or some other position, try to teach them to another position, even though it doesn't get as good acuity. And then the right, you don't want to, you want to stay away from the right. Do not go to the right, okay? Do not move the blind spot to the right, because that just messes up all your reading activities, and mainly what we use our eyes for all day long is reading stuff. So you don't want a scotoma blocking what you're going to try to read, you know, what's in you know, the next word over. So we try to avoid looking to the right, turning the head to the right or moving to the head of the right if you have a scotoma. Now, the scotoma or the blind spot, you often see it uh, if you read some of the literature and stuff, it's this nice round black spot. Well, one is not necessarily black. Some people see um, it's sort of a missing area, okay? Uh, some people will see a black spot. Some people just see it's kind of a blurry area in the middle. Okay. But it's, it's more like a, a snowflake. Every scotoma is different. It's a different shape to it. It has little nooks and crannies through it. And part of all of this new instrumentation is that if you have heard of a scanning laser ophthalmoscope, and you're probably not going to find a doctor with one because I think there's about six in the United States, the last I heard, but I've been retired two years or maybe a couple more. Um, But this is a big, big, huge, expensive machine that will actually map out that and give you an exact area where the uh, best vision is going to be. And then the people who are working with the training can actually, either with prisms or with training activities, teach you to find and use that part of the, the retina. If in the, we just basically in the clinic, if we do a lot of little exercises, we use clock faces or just use a face, uh, we use uh, different uh, exercises of uh, trying to find where the best vision is and can get you a pretty good idea where the best vision is and teach you to use it without all the uh, fancy instrumentation. You probably have all had an Amsler grid. This is a little near point. It's a little grid that the doctor shows you, and it's got a little bunch of squares on it, black, uh, black background with white boxes. And it tells you, the question is, are any of these, while you're looking at the middle of it, uh, are there any boxes missing, or are they distorted? This is, again, it's telling us how to, how what the size and, and kind of the shape of the scotoma is. And then I'll have the patient take, okay, now move your eye around to that box look the clearest, and then that'll tell me a little bit more about where that blind spot has to be moved in order to get you to uh, see best. Right? And we work with that uh, that kind of uh, training exercises to get you into get you to your eye muscles to move the eye into that part of the vision. So this, this is like a half hour of a, of a and, I'm, and without slides and stuff, I'm not sure how much of this is coming through. <laughs> but basically you're starting with a, a little problem with vision that has almost distortions and stuff. It turns into a little tiny scotoma. And in those cases, we can use larger print and high contrast. And then it gets to be a larger scotoma blocking stuff out, more disabling to your daily living activities. You can't do sewing and a lot of other things. And so we have to teach you to move the eye, usually upward position or to the left or down, not to the right, and and to give you the proper glasses to get the best vision with the retina that you have left there that you're not the, that you have left with the retina that you're using back there. Okay. And then if it, oh, uh, move the if you move the head, okay, you start to read. We've got to teach you to hold that position or fixate while you're moving and get again to the right spot and then there's the whole hand-eye coordination stuff to help you with uh, actually being able to use that to 
find things to get your depth perception back a little bit better. Okay. It would affect his depth judgment, not the depth perception. So, and all that goes into making sure you have the right training and the right kind of glasses. Okay. And work with it. Now, um, so your, your words are the eccentric viewing, moving to look into the edge, eccentric fixation is another word to use where you're actually looking at something. Uh, tracking and preferred retinal locus. Those are all the words you're going to hear out there that relate to this. But then when we get that done, now we can provide you with magnification and optical devices that are going to be more appropriate and going to get much better use out of. For instance, if I didn't do eccentric viewing and I gave you a pair of glasses, I would have to make them sometimes twice as strong and twice as close. I have to use a 20-diopter lens working at 2 inches, whereas if I did eccentric viewing, I might get away with a 10-diopter lens at 4 or 5 inches. And so it, it makes a huge difference in terms of being able to get a much larger field and a better working distance and see further away if we can get this eccentric viewing thing done. But it's, it's, it's a diagnosis of a particular problem related to the eye disease. Okay? It's not a disease itself. It's just what happened okay? to the eye as a result of an ocular disease. Some of the misconceptions. Okay, so. All right, I'm going to leave that right there. And if there's any questions right now, okay, we'll talk about doctors. Dr. Joseph, this is Bernice. Um, is, are some of these techniques relevant to people who only have one eye? Uh, there's something about one eye. I, I didn't hear the. I, I said, are, are some of these techniques relevant to uh, people who have one eye? I guess. Oh yes, that's, actually, with most of the cases, we will we will occlude uh, the worst eye and work with the better eye. Uh, and then, and then there are some doctors that will actually then work with the worst eye later on to improve the vision. My concern is that sometimes I improve the vision too much in the bad eye, and then I cause rivalry, and I get the two eyes fighting one another. So you, you basically, there's a certain point when you get a big difference in the vision in one eye to the other, the brain shuts down the other eye, or you would see double vision all the time. Okay. Well, I get calls from people who are totally blind in one eye, and they may be 20-20 or low vision in the other eye, they say, I can see the sidewalk, but I can't walk down it. Well, if that has nothing to do, if they have 20-20, then it has nothing to do with eccentric viewing. Okay. Uh, if they have 20-20 in that other eye, and they recently lost the vision in the good eye, you know, so they basically have no vision in one eye, and it's just happened recently. They've got 20-20 vision in the other eye. Yeah, they can see it. What they've lost is depth of judgment. See, most of our depth, everyone has depth perception. Even with one eye, you know that the the desk you're looking sitting at is closer to you than the door out there. Okay. So, or the... the kitchen table is, you know, uh, closer to you than the window okay, and the kitchen. So depth perception is innate, even with one eye. A lot of what we do in depth judgment, okay, how we judge depth, how far things are away, uh, can be uh, done, it is done with both eyes, okay, and it's, but that's called stereopsis or stereovision. And that gives us a better depth perception or better depth judgment up to about, no research changes, but 11 to 13 feet. 
after 11 or 13 feet, even with two good eyes, you're still pretty much using monocular or one eye cues to determine how far things are away or one thing's further away than another. So what what that sounds like is that the person just hasn't had a chance to get mobile enough to learn how to judge depth with the one one eye that they have left. Now, if that eye has been blind their whole life and they've got 20-20 and they're, you know, older now than infant to get, then that would be a different problem. And there I would probably look for, okay, why do we have that? It sounds more like a visual field loss or something. Oh, Dr. Stephen from Connecticut, would you also refer the person to teach them about using their body proprioceptors more to sense their environment, particularly with depth perception? Well, yeah, any of that stuff, you, and I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the, the question is, but, it's, but anything you do with hand-eye coordination movement, I think movement is the best uh, eye exercise you can, you can do. Um, I've had people where I just tell them to walk around the, the, the senior center, you know, in the gardens, and they'll come back seeing better. Uh, you know, no magic. <laughs> it's just using their vision. So, uh, yeah, part of what we're doing in depth perception is, is are you talking with the person with one eye? Is that what you're asking? Uh, well, one eye or like retinitis pigmentosa where they can't, where they've lost their depth perception capabilities. Uh-huh. Wait. Uh, well, I, you know, I've, I've been working, you know, I've, I've heard it from people. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Tim. I have heard of some people who have been able to increase their depth, their body proprioceptors to help them with objects in the room. Without banging into them, they can walk around a dark room and not hit anything. Okay, but you're not talking about being familiar with the room. You're talking about some actual training that will... I just don't know what proprioceptive training would be, but certainly that that person, if they're walking around and, and, and uh, they're no one in a testing situation and you make them more aware of their loss of peripheral vision, where that peripheral vision is, and you teach them to scan more, they're certainly going to miss objects. You know, they're going to be able to, in their visual memory, uh, part of what we train is visual memory, that when I look over to the right and see all chairs and people, that, you know, I'll know it's there, okay? So, by proprioceptive, if, 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 it's usually a head movement, okay? And so, if you do a head movement, scanning movement, and keep track of things, and have good visual memory, and, uh, yeah, certainly you'll, you'll, travel much more safely and uh, in fact that's part of most mobility instructors train the scanning okay teach them to scan and to try to remember what they they, they took that field and it's like taking 10 pictures looking from left to right uh, out there in the periphery all the way to the center back out to the other periphery and then try to keep track of in their mind put it together to one big picture of what uh, what objects are in the field but I, I'm Probably not answering your question because I'm not quite sure what the proprioceptive body training is. Okay. What is it? What kind of activities would you have them do for this? Well, what what they had us do was to go in a dark room and to clear our minds. But before we went in, we had to clear our minds of any of any distortion or thinking and everything, and then learn to over a period of weeks 
to feel the objects with our body, not moving our heads, just keeping them. Oh, that second place stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah. Now I just, I'm not up. Uh, that still, that still needs a lot of work in science. <laughs> blind sight. Okay. And it, and it, yeah, it's the blind sight stuff. And and certainly, part of that, if you're, I mean, if you really are totally blind, okay, uh, and then that'd be one thing. But most people have. Uh, uh, a lot of vision. There's also the uh, brainstem vision, what they call it. That back in the caveman days, uh, that if you saw something out there in the periphery and it moved, okay, then you ran the other direction. There was no discrimination, no identification, nothing. It's just that if it was over there, everything in this world eats me. So I'm moving to the other. You know, if it's out to the left, I'm going to the right. Okay? So we know some of that that brainstem vision in our multi-handicapped kids, uh, they use that quite effectively. They respond to it, but it's, it's uh, other than responding to something happened over there, uh, they, they don't have a lot of other useful information. In terms of the, the, I mean, when you work in the dark room and you, you've got dark adaptation issues, you've got, and, and, and just, we haven't figured out what the mechanism would be for them to see a chair over there through their body, getting okay, proprioceptive uh, feel, I guess you call it. I don't know. Okay. So uh, I, I really, uh, I really, and I don't poo-poo this stuff. I don't understand it. So and there's a lot of stuff that I, training that I used to uh, not be too thrilled with, uh, but I soon learned that even though I couldn't explain it, okay, uh, we have a lot of success with it. There's a lot of work because with prisms and stuff. Yeah. This is just Roger Peterson. Uh, I would suggest also that there might be echolocation training. Uh, you can, in fact, learn to perceive objects with your hearing. Well, yeah, the the hearing certainly. I mean, that's that's back in probably about 30 years ago when they were studying this in at the university there in California, uh, and uh, down in Palo Alto, we were basically looking at hearing as more related to uh, picking up objects and stuff that are going on in the room and echoes and in fact there's even there used to be I forget what it was called it was a it's a machine that actually bounced echoes off walls and you listen to how far away the echoes you know were how fast the signal got back as to how far away things were okay and the mobility probably had a big hung around the neck I forget what it was called yeah people can do that with their ears also yeah exactly I, I that I that I, I mean that makes sense that, that has some understanding to it yes uh -huh. even sighted people do it without realizing it sometimes oh sure oh sure yeah you just you just when you, you, you hear, sort of you hear a room you hear the size of a room you know whether there's an echo in the room or... Yeah, if there's noise in there, yeah, noise, noise is, uh, are waves. It's like uh, light waves, okay? And just, you learn how to interpret them. Doctor, this is Tom. I was told that it was your, all your other senses kicking in, and that's your aura that surrounds everybody's And if you move slow enough and let your aura work for you, it's very real. Well, I will. My, the oral lady that I used to work with was, uh, I'm just a little out of my field, okay? Uh, but uh, Audrey Smith uh, was big into wars, okay? <laughs> so, uh, and, and, uh, uh, we, we could, she could, she could tell a lot about a person with her aura, but I, I don't see how much it helped with the vision, okay? 
Uh, Audrey Smith is another member that uh, uh, works at uh, what used to be the Pennsylvania College of Optometry, now Solace University. Right. A very brilliant young lady. Well, she's an older lady now. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jost? Yes. This is Sam. Um, the the technique it described today, you say look up or to the left, but don't go to the right. Correct. Now the Chinese newspaper, you know, we do read from top to the bottom, and often right. from right to the left. Yeah, In that well, case, would the technique, the training technique, be different? Correct. Yeah, you move it out because it would not make sense to have it blocking out. You know, so yeah, you want to move it to the right or the left then. Uh-huh. Okay, so just see that it's the concept. See, there's nothing. There's there is not a rote way of doing this training. It's just a concept. The concept right. is get that blind spot out of the way. But when I when I move it, it's going to block something else. So let's, let's whatever task I'm doing. I I know people that will will move it up for one task and then they'll move it to the left for a different type of task. Right, right. I thought, so, what yeah. you, I thought what you described is because the ink is writing is from to. From the left to the right, and you we do start reading from the left. That's why we have to go to the left. That's that's the idea right. behind your. Uh huh. Okay. Correct. Uh huh. Yes. Okay, I got you. Yeah, and a lot of times when we have a right hemianopsy, if you lose half the vision, half your field, uh, I'll tell people to read, take their instead of reading left to right, turn the paper sideways and read and read, you know, top to bottom or bottom to top. Okay. Uh-huh, so uh-huh, okay, so uh-huh. if I can't change the the retina, then I'll change the world to match oh, the retina. So you're you're trying to get a good match. The whole idea of of this, you know, low vision kind of therapy is that you you try to match the world uh, with the eye. Or you try to change the eye through uh, optics okay, to match right. the world. Okay. Do you ever use prism lenses to move the visual field over? I did. Well, uh, well, we use prism lenses for macular degeneration for scotomas because many times it, what happens is, if remember I say if you move up, there was a lot of uh, I think they were called prism relocalization systems uh, 10, 15 years ago when it's all start kicking in, and they were selling these uh, lenses to people, and they were working. Okay. But what happens is, okay, if I tell you to eccentrically view up, look up, that was the same thing as telling you to read holding the paper over your head. So hold your head looking straight ahead, hold the paper over your head, and then look up to read you know, with your 20-20 vision or with your full vision. Okay. Now, you get tired very quickly. Your arm, I don't know which gets tired first, the arm or the eyes, but they get tired looking up there and you're reading. We've done it with students. The reading slows down tremendously when I try to read upward because those eye muscles have to strain to look up. They have to strain to move that blind spot out of the way and move it up to the upper field. So by putting prisms on, if I push the world down, because I'm going to take the whole world and move it down, but they them. Now, when I look at the reading material, my, I move my eyes down. It's got a blind spot. Now, when I move my eyes, my muscles move up. They're moving into my normal gaze. Okay, so I'm relaxing that muscle. So when they they used to sell that lens as creating, you know, moving the letters off of the scotoma. You can't move the letters off the of scotoma. You have to, you know, it's impossible. But what they're doing is the person is still eccentrically viewing, but now they're going from a down position to a straight-ahead position and being able to see the print. 
So we use prisms for that. And also, if I have a hemonopsy or I'm losing the whole right field or whole left field, yeah, we use little called sector prisms that are in the edge of the lens, and it's like a, a little mirror or whatever. When I want to see what's out in the periphery, I make a little eye movement into my prism because it's just right to the right next to where my uh, missing field is, and I'll see a lamp or something out there in the periphery. Then, if I want to see it, I turn my head all the way to the right to take a better look at it without the prism. And then we shift worlds to. I mean, yeah, we do a lot of work with prisms. Hi, Hanley Hi. and Todd here. Um, I've I got, I'd like a clarification in the two questions. Okay. Uh, you mentioned something earlier on. Some I assume they were glasses that you said would improve the distance and the depth perception, but I didn't quite catch what the heck that was. Oh well, just in 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 basic is that. To, you, everyone has depth perception. That's innate. You, you know things that are closer or further away. You just don't know how far. So what most people call depth perception problems are really depth judgment problems. They just don't know how much further away that is from me or, or how far I have to walk to get to it. So anytime... Can I mention some glasses or something? Okay, well, the, the glasses would be... There's no glasses that are going to do that other than the... The glasses will give you the best vision. We want the glasses that are going to give you the best vision, okay. number one. So the better the acuity, the better the detail you see, the the better you're going to make those judgments. Oh, okay, but, but maybe I misunderstood what you said yeah, but there, I thought you meant yeah, specific things. All right, let me get to my two questions, and then okay. I'd like to hear your comments on them. Okay. Um, one is, with macular degeneration, uh, even without it, I, I heard about some eye exercises you could do, like when you're standing on the line and you're waiting to check out or something, where you yeah. like look at something far away for five seconds and then look at something real close for five seconds, or you um, close your eyes to change the lighting and then you open your eyes and it's bright and you do very yeah. things like that in motion. Yeah. And I'm right. Wondering, how much does that? help anybody with macular degeneration, the normal eye exercise. Well to to our knowledge to our knowledge it doesn't. Okay. Okay. Uh, the the close the close distance near if you're a younger Mac generation you still have some accommodation left. It it might let you hold things a little bit closer and keep it clearer. But that would be stretching my imagination a bit to come up with a positive use for that exercise. That those exercises like that have been around for the fifty, sixty years that I've been in Right, you know, right. Research okay. in the field. Okay. Right. Then the other question is because macular degeneration is a progressive thing and it's always changing. Right. I noticed that in some cases with some eye doctors, they tend to dictate to the patient. And I'm wondering how much more critical upon the patient, as well as the doctor, but how much more critical is it for the patient themselves to have a better understanding of what's going on, you know, do their education, do their homework, in order to be able to better work with the doctor to involve the areas of communication and actually accomplishing something. I'd like if I could, uh, if I could, I would make every patient leave my office taking a test on what I've told them. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. No, you cannot be rehabilitated if you don't know what's going on with you. Okay? And so if you get frustrated because of stupid blind spots flashing on and off, without knowing why it's flashing on and off and what this is why I'm doing the, 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 the stupid treatments I'm giving you. I mean, people go home and say, you want me to go back and look at letters? 
for, you know, uh, two weeks, uh, 15 minutes, three times a day. I said, yep. <laughs> okay, and here's why. This is what I, and this is where I use the language like, uh, you know, we're doing the push-ups for the eye muscles to teach them to find that, to strengthen that so they can hold that position and so on. Oh, I am a firm believer in patient education. We can give them materials. The uh, and then actually the the therapist that I work with and worked with. Okay, once I had the explanation to the patient, sent him into the room. The first thing they asked them and said, "Okay, tell me about your your condition." Uh, Doctor Jones told you about the uh, your eccentric viewing or Mac generation ever. You explain to me what it is, what you what you heard. Okay? So we get double double look at it, you know, because it's amazing. They can walk 10 feet to the next room and, and say, what, what's extended viewing? <laughs> right, because I'm going for cataract surgery. I asked everybody who had it, and they didn't know a darn thing. And I had yeah. to talk to Dr. Bill just so that I could get enough information to talk intelligently yeah. with the doctor. Yeah. Boy, there is, if, if any doctor there, we one of the things we're supposed to talk about is, uh, you know, how do you find a good doctor? It's one who explains things to you. If they've got come in five minutes to do their diagnosis, I, I literally, I'll grab my primary care guy and say, whoa, 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 I'm not finished yet. <laughs> okay. He's out the door. You know, I don't care. Like he, gets, me. Yeah. He, gets, yeah, he gets mad at me, then I find another doctor. It's no big deal. Okay. Uh, no, the, the, what you're looking for in a doctor is one who's going to educate you. You need to be a part of the rehab program. You need to be. You are the most important part of the rehab program. All I can do is give you guidance. You've got to do the work, okay? But you're not going to do that work unless you, you know why you're doing it. Okay? So, no, education is number one. Good, Good question. Yeah. Okay, let's see. we got about ten minutes left, Dr. Joes, and... Um, can you delve into that topic of how do you find uh, a low vision optometrist or ophthalmologist? Well, it's, it's been a big problem because we really have no, we don't even have a standard of care of what a low vision exam is. So I work as a state consultant for the uh, Texas Department of uh, Blind Services. And so I review all the uh, docs out there in terms of their uh, requests for devices and treatment options and stuff like that. And you know, we're we're paying a set fee for a vision exam. Uh, for some, some of them, they come in, take an acuity, slap a pair of microscopes on, and ship them out the door. Okay, and others, I get the the. My idea of a good doctor is one who does a, a low vision rehabilitation exam, not just a low vision exam, meaning that your best programs for patient care are going to be where you have a doctor who has some expertise in working with visual impairment and uh, sometimes we're so young in the field yet that we can be just experienced others have residencies speaking now we have a lot more doctors out there with residencies in low vision and vision rehabilitation so that's a good thing to find out uh, some are diplomates in the American Academy of Optometry, their vision section, and uh, there's a section with the ophthalmologist, uh, the Academy of Ophthalmology. They have a, a uh, I forget what the other section, okay, where that where the doctors who are interested in vision, there's no real criteria for being in there other than just show up to the meeting. Uh, but it certainly shows doctors who are interested in uh, in low vision and vision rehabilitation and go to meetings and, and are getting continuing education. So it would be another uh, thing to look at. So you got a good doc there. you got a uh, – I like to send my send patients to the clinics or the doctors I know have a either well-trained 
technician or a certified religion therapist or an occupational therapist, okay, that you have some therapist there that's going to provide you, the patient, some ability to apply the device to different activities that are important to you, be it reading, sewing, watching TV, uh, driving, you know, whatever it is that you really bugging you about having a vision loss, uh, the doc will have some options of optical devices or therapy protocols that will help you accomplish those goals. And then I can talk to you, I can give you a pair of glasses, I can tell you you're going to read newspaper and you're going to do it at two inches away, it means nothing until I send you into the therapist room and she puts the glasses on and puts the book in front of you and says, start reading. And then you realize, oh, we got a lot of training ahead of us. <laughs> so the, 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 the doc has to have the background. The doctor and the therapist uh, should be willing to educate you and explain things to you and answer your questions. Uh, you probably need need to... Well, I prefer a half a, a full hour exam, okay, given to me, okay, uh, as a patient, okay, for that particular uh, program. And what we measure is the the acuity, how well you see at distance with special charts. We then refract just to make sure that uh, we have the best vision there, of, uh, refraction wise. Then we look at uh, visual fields uh, difference at uh, distance, just to make sure that. We don't have missing parts of the field that are complicating the central scotoma or the acuity loss. Okay. Uh, then we look at binocular issues. If you walk around with double vision or overlapping vision all the time, well, it's all the magnifiers in the world aren't going to help you. And sometimes just closing one eye, I can get better vision. But figuring out how to make the two eyes work together or work so one shuts down and the other one works okay, is an issue. We look at contrast, contrast uh, sensitivity. Many people can have 2200 vision, 2100 vision under ideal conditions, but as soon as there's a little glare out there, a little fog out there, uh, the vision drops to 2200. Okay, it gets much worse. So, how stable is your visual system for different uh, outdoor and indoor environments? Okay, okay. so uh, can you maintain the same acuity in different lighting and glare conditions? Okay, or does it get really, really worse? There are people who go into my clinic, 2100 vision, but I know as soon as they walk outside, they've got 2200 and are legally blind. Okay? Uh, and that's how they function all day long. Okay? Uh, so not in my exam room. So you have to have a doctor who's going to make those measurements and know how constant that acuity that they measured under ideal conditions is going to be. Then we look at near acuity, and I look at near how well you can see a single letter. You know, so I look at charts that have just one letter on them, you know, well, there's a line of single letters, okay. And that's what I call my threshold acuity. If you take, you know, 10, 15 minutes to read the line, that's fine with me. I want to know if you stand on your head, okay, to read it. Uh, I know somewhere in the back of the retina you can read a letter that small. And then I give you a paragraph acuity or something to actually read, and it all falls apart, okay. And you, you'll only have an acuity with letters that are two, three, four times bigger. And that immediately tells me there's an eccentric viewing problem or there's other ocular motor problems that are causing that functional loss, okay, uh, from real good acuity under threshold, and we're not really finding that good part of the retina, so we got to do some training to teach the eye muscles to find that good part of the retina uh, for reading purposes, which is pretty much what that eccentric viewing program I went through does. 
and uh, then we look at visual fields at near two, okay, and uh, and we look at magnification, okay, and sometimes we look at color vision, okay, if it's a vocational or educational setting, you want to know how that's affected. So that's kind of a look at what I call my visual impairment profile. I want to know all the things that are affecting your ability to see or perform things visually. I want to know all aspects of vision. Okay? And then uh, work from there. But the big things, do they have the background? Do they have the clinic staff and equipment? And are they going to educate you? I'd say the big three in terms of uh, finding the guy that's going to be okay with you. Okay. 